Welcome to today's podcast from Sherwood Baptist Church. For more information on Sherwood or Pastor Michael Catt, visit our website at SherwoodBaptist.net. And now, here's Pastor Michael Catt. We're, uh, we're about to start on a journey that I am very excited about. Uh, several years ago, uh, I don't know why I just had a bad moment when I sold this thing, but uh, several years ago, I, I bought a... Uh, 1964 white Mustang convertible with red interior and it even had red wall tires which Ford made just for that Mustang and we kept it about five or six years and then sold it. I must have been insane when I sold that car but uh, I always pictured that car on a road trip. You know just just putting the top down and, and taking a trip down the road in an old 64 Mustang. And even today, if I see an old Mustang, I ask God to forgive me for not praying about selling that car. Uh, but the money was good, so I just took it. Um, he was a, a, a poor man, and I took him in. But uh, I, I want us to take the top down, and I want us to take a trip down Route 66. 66 books in the Bible, 40-plus authors, or written over 1,500 years plus, 15 centuries, and yet one message. And the reason we're going to leave the top down is because I don't want you to miss anything there. I don't want any blind spots uh, as we take this trip and as we take this journey. I want you to, to see the historical markers. I want you to see the memorial stones. I want you to meet some people that we will meet along the way. And over the next 11 messages... We will go from Genesis to Revelation, completely covering the theme and the purpose of the Scriptures so that hopefully by the time we arrive at our destination, which is the last chapter of the book of Revelation, you will have a grasp on why God gave us these 66 books, what they say to us, what they mean to us, and how we need to apply them to our lives. Uh, In the 1970s, we served a church that was literally located on Route 66. I could see Route 66 from my office window. We lived about three blocks off of Route 66. And, you know, I was kind of thinking Mark might play the song, I get my kicks on Route 66 today, but we're saving that for another day. And, uh, but, but, you know, I didn't get a lot of kicks living on Route 66. I got kicked at in that church, but I didn't, I didn't get a lot of kicks. But uh, uh, it, it's been a kick for me, if you will, to uh, begin this study and uh, to get it started. I've been uh, anticipating the start of this study. And I want you to begin with me in a very unusual place when you're talking about uh, beginning a trip. We're going to go way down the road into the book of Ephesians. The book of Ephesians is where we're going to be this morning in just a moment. But I, I want you to see something in this study that we're going to do because you're going to see stories of political intrigue. There's romance. There's poetry. There are stories of everyday life. There are passages filled with symbolism and allegory. There are chapters and books maybe that you've just bypassed and said, I just don't know if I can get into that book or not. That, that just seems strange to me. But the one thing that you're going to discover in this study is there is no possibility because of the length of time, the number of authors and written in three different languages, that this book could have been a work of collusion. 
These people were inspired by God, by the Holy Spirit, to write down these things. And so I want to give you some things, and a lot of this will come up uh, on the screens to try to give you a handle as we begin to start. First of all, this book tells us what we are because of what man is. This book tells us what we are right now, today, in 2009, but because of what man is. Man is a sinner, fallen from God, away from God. And we find out what we are because of what man is. Man as a whole, all of mankind. Not just you, not just me, but all of us are sinners. Secondly, it explains, it instructs, it exhorts, admonishes, corrects, strengthens, and teaches us truth about ourselves. When you begin this journey, you're going to find that you've got a roadmap that's going to know a lot about you and know a lot about the things that you need to correct or change in your life, the things that you need to strengthen in your life and build up in your life. You're going to find people in the Bible that you identify with while we take this journey. And then we're going to learn that the key person in it all is Jesus Christ, the Son of Man. The psalmist said, open my eyes, Lord, that I might discover, obtain, grasp, wonderful things from your law. So let's look at the goal of the revelation. And before we get to Ephesians, I want to read you just a few verses out of uh, the epistles of Simon Peter. Remember, all the epistles were written to churches, except for Philemon, which was written to an individual. But, but here we have a letter to the churches. Peter, one of the original apostles, who is writing to the church, and he says that the Word is given us like newborn babes. We should long for the pure milk of the Word so that, purpose clause, so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. So why should we long to study the Word? Why should we long to know the Word? We've just finished this series on, on how to study the Bible, the living Word, and, and how to observe and how to interpret and how to make application, how to ask the right kind of questions when we're looking at a passage, so that we will long for the milk of the Word. But then and he, he goes on to say that there are many people who start this spiritual journey but they stumble along the way, he says, because they are disobedient to the word. And yet, he says, the word of the Lord endures forever. And so if I want to have a life that lasts, if I want to leave a legacy, if I want to know what it is that God has for me, then, then I need to study the word, the one thing that endures forever. The Constitution of the United States, no other document written by man will endure forever, but this book endures forever. And then Peter, writing in his second epistle, said that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit. In other words, this book was not written by a bunch of guys who got together and decided they wanted to write a book and put their name on it. This book was written by men moved on by the Holy Spirit of God. That's why it is called a God-breathed book. Why it is inspired and infallible and inerrant. Why it is the one true word for us. Because it wasn't men's ideas. It was what God said to those men. And they wrote, wrote it down as God had given it to them. So, what's the purpose of the book? Let's go to Ephesians chapter 1. We're going to be in Ephesians 1, 3, and 4, and we're just going to read it because I want you to, to get 
Paul giving us the purpose of the Scriptures. The purpose of the Scriptures, Ephesians 1, verse 9. He made known to us the mystery of His will, according to His kind intention, which He purposed in Him with a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of the times. That is, the summing up of all things in Christ. So what did he do? He's summing up all things that he's been pointing to in Christ. Things in the heavens and things on the earth. In him also we have obtained an inheritance. Having been predestined according to his purpose who works all things after the counsel of his will, to the end that we who were the first to hope in Christ would be to the praise of his glory. So God's revealed to us a mystery, a thing that was hidden, a thing that even the Old Testament writers didn't always understand, which we'll talk about in just a few moments. Now turn to chapter 3, chapter 3 of the book of Ephesians. In Ephesians chapter 3, he begins to explain this a little bit more. Chapter 3 and verse 8. To me, the very least of all saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ and to bring the light what is the administration of the mystery for which ages has been hidden in God who created all things. This mystery now again is being revealed. Verse 10. So that the manifold wisdom of God might be made known through the church to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. This was in accordance with the eternal purpose which he carried out in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and confident access through faith in him. Now he goes to Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 12. Ephesians 4 and verse 12. He talks about the offices that are given the, the apostles and the prophets and, and the teachers. And then he comes to verse 12 and he says, why, why do we have teachers and why do we have this book and why do we have all of this revelation? For the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. So I want you to note two phrases, two phrases in verse 13, the knowledge of the Son of God. God has revealed everything from Genesis all the way through for one thing, that you might know the Son. It is pointing to, explaining, defining, revealing, unlocking the mysteries that you might know the Son, God's Son. God wants you to know Him, and you know Him through knowing His Son. Then He says, we all attain to the unity of the faith. In other words, faith is active. It's an operative word. There's something that's acted out in us and through us when we know the Son, and He uses that word all, not just preachers, not just teachers, not just missionaries, but that we all, one body, one purpose, in unity, understand what it is that God has given to us. There is that fellowship and that connection 
with people that gets them on a road where everybody's moving in the same direction because we understand the purpose. So it's salvation and it's sanctification. God has revealed himself so that men might be saved and those who are saved would be sanctified. In other words, would mature and grow up to become the person that God set out for you to be. And once you know who you are, and you know what you need, then you realize the one thing you need is the person, and that person is Jesus Christ, because he fills in all the gaps. He's the one that takes the void and empty parts of our lives and gives them meaning and substance. He's the one that takes our guilt and gives us life. He's the one that takes the mystery and the confusion and the fog of life, and why are we here, and for what purpose are we here, and does it matter that I'm here? He's the one that takes all of that And in the context of one person revealed from Genesis through Revelation, in the context of that person, Jesus Christ, we find meaning and purpose for our existence. So that's the goal of the Revelation. Then there's the why of the Revelation, the why of the Revelation. And I want to give you time to write this down. Major Ian Thomas was a great Bible teacher and uh, wrote a book called The Saving Life of Christ, which you should read if you've not read it. But this is what Major Ian Thomas said. First of all, he had to be what he was to do what he did. He's talking about Christ. He had to be what he was to do what he did. In other words, nobody else could do this. There's no other religious leader. There's no other prophet. There's no other teacher. There's no other historical figure. Jesus had to be what he was to do what he did. He had to be all God and all man. There wasn't any other way that this could have been done. He had to be all God and all man. First of all, secondly, he had to be the son of God because no no one else could have done it. No preacher could have done what Jesus did. No evangelist could have done. No prophet could have done what Jesus did. He had to be the Son of God. And so the the issue of the Scripture is, either he is the Son of God or he's not. It's not he might be, he could have been, some think he is. The objective revelation of Scripture is, he is the revelation of God in man. The God-man, Jesus Christ. Not only did he have to be the Son of God, he had to be God in flesh, the immortal one dying on a cross. Wasn't just any death. It had to be on a cross because that's what had been prophesied. Without the shedding of blood, the Scripture says there is no remission of sin. It had to be an innocent man's blood. That's why he had to be conceived by a virgin. That's why the virgin birth is important because the sin comes through the seed of man. And so through the virgin who was conceived of by the Holy Spirit, it had to be an innocent man to die on that cross. If it had been me, if it had been you, we could have been good men, but we could not have satisfied the wrath of God on sin. We could not have stood in the gap and met God's requirements because we too would have been sinners and we would have merely been maybe dying only for our own sin. So he had to be God in the flesh. And then he had to be what he was to do what he did. Got to go back to that. 
But then there's one more. He had to do what he did that we might have what he is. He had to do what he did that we might have what he is. You see, if I'm ever going to become what a Christian is and what the Bible says a Christian is, then he had to do what he did that I might become what he is, that I could become a child of God, that I could be an heir, as the Bible says, a joint heir of God, that I could be adopted into the family of God, that, that I could have access to the throne of grace. He had to do what he did so that I could have what he's got. You see, Jesus Christ is not a historical figure to be pushed to the side. He is the one that stands on the dividing line of history. The Bible has been called his story. And it is. Because history is his story. Because history began with God. And history will end when God says it's going to end. And everything between the beginning and ending of history is really his story of his plan for what man should have been and could have been if it were not for the fall in the garden. And so God has given us his word. That's the story. Not just to forgive us of sin. And that's great in and of itself. But God didn't send his son just to forgive us of sin so that we could go to heaven when we die. God gave us his son so that we could walk in victory while we live on this earth. God gave us his son that we could be more than conquerors through Jesus Christ our Lord. God did not give us his son to get us out of hell and into heaven. And in between, we're frustrated, we're struggling, we're empty. We keep trying to flesh it out, work it out, think it out, plan it out. God gave us his son so that we would know that in his son, we would have the power to live the life that he requires us to live because we can't live it on our own. That's why God gave us the word. Turn a couple of pages to Colossians, the book of Colossians. Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. And verse 13. For he rescued us from the domain of darkness... And transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Now what does that tell us? That tells us that God created this earth. It tells us that Jesus was the instrument, the agent of creation. When you get to the end of the book, you find that there's a time when Jesus comes back and there's a new heaven and a new earth, which God will create. You understand when you study the Bible that when we die, that our physical bodies that we live in today decay, but we will get a new body, one that will not be filled with disease, 
one that will not be destroyed and worn out over time, but a new body. Who's going to give us that? The one who created the dynamic of the body in the first place. The one who orchestrated life at the very conception of life, the beginning of life. That God has come to us and he holds it all together. Now, we have politicians that think they hold it all together. And just about the time they get their hand over in this part of the world, it unravels over in this part of the world. And just the time they think they get this part of our economy fixed, it unravels over here. Listen, no man can hold it all together. Vance Havner said 40 years ago, it would not hurt the, this is 40 years ago, it would not hurt the president to admit that we are so desperate that we must go to God in prayer for our deliverance. It wouldn't hurt him now, and it wouldn't hurt your congressman now. You see, because Congress is not going to hold America together, and the president's not going to hold America together, and the next president's not, and the next president's not, and the next president's not, the only thing that holds all of this together is God. All he'd have to do is let this earth tilt off its axis by one degree or move us 200 miles closer to the sun and everything we know as life would be gone. All he'd have to do is just say, you know what? For the next two seconds, gravity does not exist and we'd all be gone. We'd be dead. We'd be out there in outer space somewhere. You see, he holds it all together. He has a purpose. But the purpose is not for us to look at the creation and say, my, what a great God, look at the creation. The purpose is to look at the God who created it and the Son who limited himself in human form for 33 years and said, you want to know what God is like? Look at me. You don't want to know what the Father's like? If you want to know what God thinks, then study the life of Jesus Christ. Because he is the completion of, of all the revelation and of all the mystery of Christ, everything in the Old Testament pointed to Christ. Acts chapter 17 and verse 30. Don't turn there. It should come up on the screen. God is now declaring to men that all people everywhere should repent because he has fixed a day. In other words, there is a day on God's calendar and daytimer that's not on your calendar. But he has fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness through a man whom he has appointed, having furnished proof to all men by raising him from the day. God has a day that this world is moving toward, and nobody can stop it. Nobody can change it. Nobody can delay it. It is already fixed in the mind of God the last day this world will exist. It's already fixed in his mind. And he's done that so that we have an opportunity to repent of the way we're living. One last line from Ian Thomas. We will be what he was when by faith we allow him to be what he is. You see, he had to do what he did that we might be what he is. And we will be what he was when, by faith, we allow him to be what he is. In other words, letting Jesus be Jesus in us and in our lives. 
You see, the issue of studying the scripture is not what's in it for me. The issue is really is what's God going to get out of you? Not what are you going to get out of God, but what's God going to get out of you? What will change in you because of this? So we need this revelation. You've got there in your notes. I just want to walk through this very quickly. We need to know Genesis. Why do we need to know Genesis? Because we need to know what man was before the fall. You see, Adam and Eve were what God intended us to be in unbroken fellowship with Almighty God. Nothing hindering, nothing stopping. Sweet fellowship with Almighty God. You're going to get up tomorrow and go to work. And you're going to say, man, I can't believe it's Monday and i got to go to work again. You know why you got to go to work again? Because of Adam and Eve. Because we earn our living by the sweat of our brow. The reason you got to go to work is because you're great, 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 granddaddy messed up. You're all from a tree with broken limbs. You see, we need to know it because we need to know that's what God intended for me. But sin entered the world. And so we need to know about the fall because we need to understand why the world's in the shape it's in. Why in the world do we have terrorists? Why do we have, you know, some nutcase in Korea that just wants to shoot off missiles all the time? Uh, why, why do we have guys making these statements about, you know, dictators and tyrants and all these rulers? Why, why do we have sexual abuse and why do we have rape of children? Why do we have all these things? I'll tell you why we have it. It's because of sin. And if you don't understand the fall, you would think, listen, if you don't understand the fall, you would think that sooner or later, man is going to get better. And he's never going to get better. In fact, all progress in technology does is give us more complex ways to do our sinning. That's all it does for us. We just have more depravity in more sophisticated ways. But nothing has changed since Sodom and Gomorrah. And nothing will change because man at his core is fallen and rebellious against God because of the original fall. We need to know the law because we need to know what God expects. We need to know the law because we need to know what God expects. By the way, anytime you see your congressman or your senator or your president or state legislator or city councilman saying that they're going to enact any law that's not consistent with the Ten Commandments, you ought to write them. Don't argue at Fox News and CNN. Don't yell at the television. That's not doing you any good. Write to people that are making the laws and say, get back to those ten things that are posted in the Supreme Court and start obeying those. We've got more laws now than we can live up to. If we'd live up to the original ten, we wouldn't have to worry about a lot of the other ones. But the ten are given to us so that man knows, I can't do it. Somebody is going to have to help me. So that's why we have the law. We need to know the people of the Bible. Why? Because we need to know that God uses ordinary folks like me and you. That these people were not extraordinary, supernatural, perfect people. They were available people. We need to understand the prophets to see the consequences of a nation that does not listen to God. When you read the prophets, you will understand 
that God holds very serious his word and his laws. Not just for Israel. Those were for Israel and for Judah. But at the same time, those principles are true for the country in which we live. That the country that neglects God as king and as Lord will reap the consequences of its selfishness. You need to read the prophets because you need to know that God has something to say about idolatry and immorality and inconsistency and lack of integrity and all of those issues that are dealt with in the prophets. We need to know the Gospels because in the Gospels we see Christ. He was first spoken of in Genesis chapter 3. The Old Testament looks forward to Christ. The Gospels look at Christ and the letters look back and define Christ. So the Old Testament is looking forward to Christ. The Gospels are looking at Christ and his earthly life. But the letters define and explain why Christ came. And so Revelation then, we get to that, and it looks ahead. What it's going to be like with Christ in the future. We need to know the epistles because we need to apply the great truths of the Gospels. And so we need to know the epistles because the epistles... Help us to understand what it means to be in Christ. Paul said, Christ in you, the hope of glory. We need to understand what it means to be a Christian in Christ. And then we need to know the book of Revelation because we need to understand the signs of the times. You and I are living in the last days. Now, there's much I could say about that, but I'll just make a brief statement. In the last days, there will be a leader that will arise who will be able to woo the world to follow his leadership. He will be a charismatic, inviting, sharp, well-spoken individual who will get the attention of the world. And any time, any leader in any century has risen to the occasion of leadership where there was a possibility of world domination, he has been a picture of what Antichrist will be able to do. You say, how in the world could the people of Germany have followed Adolf Hitler? I'll tell you why. Because he told them what they wanted to hear. And Antichrist will tell people what they want to hear. Not what they need to hear, but what they want to hear. And when they need a good dose of bitter-tasting medicine, the Antichrist will say, you don't have to take your medicine. Here's a Pop-Tart. This is sweet. It tastes good. But there are always consequences. So we are in the last days because every time as evil grows on evil and as man moves toward the end of time, you see more and more ways. And now with technology, one man can speak to the whole world at one time. We have positioned ourselves as humanity for the unveiling of Antichrist. We have positioned ourselves for the last days to become the very last of the last days. You say, we hadn't come up till now. Doesn't mean he won't come. Where are the signs of his coming? Look around. Read the Gospels. Read the book of Revelation. Read Daniel. It's all over the map. You can't turn on the news. You can't pick up the newspaper and not know that the times are ripe for God to say, that's it. It's over. So, where are we? Well, we're at the guide of the revelation. And I've got a lot to cover in the next few minutes. So turn to Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24. 
<clears throat> you remember the story of the two walking on the road to Emmaus? Now, most people think that that could have been two, uh, two men. Uh, I, I, it's just my opinion. Uh, I believe it was a couple. I believe it was a man and woman who were leaving Jerusalem, and they were walking along as a couple, and they're walking along after the death of Christ, and now the resurrection of Christ has happened, and they're leaving Jerusalem on the road to Emmaus. They're walking out of Jerusalem. They're confused. They don't understand how everything's happened, and all of a sudden, without them noticing it, a man joins them on this journey and begins to ask them what they're talking about and why they're talking about these things. And they look at him like he's clueless, like he's never watched TV and he hasn't read the Jerusalem Times that morning. He, he doesn't know anything that's going on. And so in verse 21 of Luke 24, but we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, it is the third day since these things happened. But also some women among us amazed us. When they were at the tomb early in the morning and did not find his body, they came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just exactly as the women also had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O oh, foolish men and, and slow of heart to believe in all the prophets have spoken, was it not necessary for Christ to suffer these things and to enter into his glory? And then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, in other words, from Genesis to Malachi, he explained to them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. And when they approached the village where they were going, he acted as though he were going further. <coughs> but they urged him saying, stay with us. For it is getting toward evening, and the day is now nearly over. So he went in to stay with them. And when he had reclined at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed it. And breaking it, he began giving it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. And they said to one another, Were not our hearts burning within us while he was speaking to us on the road, while he was explaining the scriptures to us. Now, don't miss this because this is important. Because we have a tendency to think, I'm not an Old Testament person. I don't like reading the Old Testament. I'm just a New Testament person. That's enough for me to deal with. Jesus, to these disciples, went from Genesis to Malachi and said, I'm here, I'm here, I'm here, I'm here, I'm here, I'm here, I'm here. This is all about me. This was an aha moment. Now, everything that they had read about Messiah, the light bulbs went on. The incomplete became complete. In that discussion on that road, wouldn't you like to have been on that road? <laughs> I mean, can you imagine that everything you've studied all your life, everything you've read all your life, and you go, but where does this all go? that all of a sudden you realize that the one that fulfilled everything you've been studying all your life was walking with you. And the one that you had been following and the one that you believed in really was the Messiah. So let me give you three what-if questions, okay? We're not, we're not through, but I'm going I'm to try to wind this down. What if you were to read the Old Testament as if you had never read it before? Just go at it like, I don't know a thing in this book. When you get to the end of Malachi, 
you're still not going to know. Don't read it like you're on this side of the cross. Read it like they read it. What if you read it and you got all the way into the Malachi and say, I know there are promises there and I know God's going to do something, but I'm at Malachi and I still don't know. Then what if you read it again? And this time you read it for the purpose of going through Leviticus and all those dimensions of the tabernacle and the temple and what was in it and the altar and the, and the lavers and the offerings and all the sacrifices and why the sacrifices had to be this and that and why it couldn't be blemished and why it had to be unblemished. And you got down to the end of it and you say, you know, this is a bloody book. What's the purpose of all these sacrifices? You still might not know. But what if you read it a third time? And then you began to look at the people. First of all, you've just read it. And it's like a two-volume book, and you, you just didn't get the second volume. It never came out in print. And, and then you read it for the sacrifices and all the imagery and all the, the, the offerings and everything else. Now you read it for a third time, and you read it looking at the people. And you get to Abraham, and he's looking for a city. And you get to the prophets and they're looking for a head. What you find when you read it, if you read it looking for those three things, what you would find is you get to the end of Malachi and you know there's got to be something more. This can't be the end. This can't be all there was to it. There has to be something more. And then you open up Matthew 1 and Matthew 1 says the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. And there it is, all the way through the Old Testament, the line of Messiah, through captivities, through Pharaoh trying to destroy the people in Egypt, through everything that had happened, through the divided kingdom, through all the problems, all the issues, there it is, tracing all the way back the line of the seed of Abraham, fulfilled in the genealogies of Jesus Christ. And then on page one, in a list of names, when you can't even name all of your aunts and uncles and cousins, there on page one is given a one-chapter genealogy to say, this is who it's been about. It's all been leading to this. A baby born in Bethlehem. G. Campbell Morgan said... The Old Testament has three divisions. The sigh for a priest, a cry for a king, and a quest for a prophet. A sigh for a priest, a cry for a king, and a quest for a prophet. So let me break down the entire Old Testament on those three phrases. Genesis through Deuteronomy is a sigh for a priest. Somebody that will give us access to God and forgiveness of sin. Genesis through Deuteronomy is a sigh for a priest. The historical books are a cry for a king. They said, give us a king like everybody else. Man wants somebody to be an authority in his life. He wants somebody to tell him what road to take. We want somebody to help us and Tell us where to go and why we need to go there. And then in Job through the prophets, we have a quest for a prophet. Somebody who can accurately 
determine the times, the seasons, the days, our lives, and the consequences of our choices. So Jesus is the one who fulfills all the prophecies. He fulfills all the prophecies. That's a slide supposed to be coming up. Jesus is the one who fulfills all the prophecies. He explains all the sacrifices, and he satisfies all the longings. One person, everything that they were looking for in the Old Testament, they found in one person at one time in one place in history. Everything man is looking for was found and is found in the person of Jesus Christ. He is the prophet, priest, and king. Now, before we're through, I want you to turn to the book of Hebrews. And then before we get through, I'm going to tell you where Genesis through Deuteronomy land, and that's the prelude to the next message. All right, so I'm going to give you a taste of the next message, and then we'll get into the next message at the next message, which is why there's a next message, because I can't cover it all in this one. All right? Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1. Let me tell you what Hebrews 1 and 2 is. Hebrews 1 and 2 is a complete summary of the Old and New Testament in two verses. If you want to write in the margin of your Bible, Hebrews 1 and 2 is a complete summary of the Old and New Testament in two verses. You have it all right there. That's why the book of Hebrews is an important book for us to understand. Look at verse 1. God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions and in many ways. That's the Old Testament. That's the Old Testament. God spoke to the fathers and the prophets, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and through the prophets in many portions and in many ways. In these last days has spoken to us in his son. That's the New Testament. There you have it. That's the old and new. God spoke like this to them. In these days, he's spoken through his son. That's the New Testament. Now, notice what he says, in many portions and in many ways. That means that in history, in prophecy, in poetry, in allegory, in wisdom literature, in mystery, God has spoken. And all of those voices, Genesis through Malachi, all of those voices have converged into one voice. Not many voices. Just like there's not many ways to heaven. Every voice from Genesis to Malachi, different men, different seasons, different centuries, different environments, all of those voices have come down and now God has spoken in his son. Many voices, one voice. And so I need to understand the Old Testament so that I can understand fully what the New Testament says. So, I can't understand it, particularly when you think about Romans 6, 7, and 8. I can't understand Romans 6, 7, and 8 until I understand the futility of person after person in the Old Testament who tried to please God by working harder, trying harder, doing better, or living life on their terms and finding that acceptable to God. Then when I understand them, I can read them and me into Romans 6, 7, and 8. So God's revealed himself. So let me give you 
a quick overview. Genesis is man ruined. Man ruined. These are real brief. Genesis is man ruined. Exodus is man redeemed out of Egypt. Leviticus is man worshiping. Man worshiping. Numbers is man serving. And Deuteronomy is man's potential, both for blessings and for cursings, depending on what he does with what God says. Now, application. You right now are living in one of these five books. Let's just go back to it. Genesis, man ruined, redeemed, worshiping, serving, the blessings and the cursings, man potential. Let's just look at it. You're, you're in one of the first, first five books of the Bible right now. You could be in Genesis. This could be a day of new beginnings for you. Because man is ruined. He's a sinner. He needs a Savior. And today could be the day when there's a new beginning for you and an opportunity for you to realize, you know, I'm a sinner and I need a Savior. I need to trust Christ. This one voice that's been clearly shown through history. I need this one person, this one man, the way, the truth, the life. I need him to change my life. I recognize today that I'm a sinner. You could be in Exodus. You're in a difficult situation. You're in bondage. You're an, an addict to something. You're enslaved to something. And you're crying out to God for deliverance. You're in bondage to something or someone that has a grip on your life that keeps you from being what God designed you to be. You could be in Leviticus. You're enjoying intimacy with God. You're discovering what true worship of God is all about. And, and you're understanding that we were created to worship Him. You could be in numbers. You could be wandering all around. You're, you're here one day, gone the next. And you're faithful to God one week and not faithful the next. And you're, you're just bouncing all around, not real sure where you're going. Not sure if the Christian life really works. And you just don't seem to have purpose. Or you could be in Deuteronomy. And in Deuteronomy, you're a person right now being reminded of how important the things of God are. Not only for you, but for your family and for your future and for future generations. So you're in one of five books today. Only you know which book you're in. But you need to stay on the journey. Because we're just now out of the driveway. We hadn't really gotten down the road yet. Let's stand together with heads bowed and eyes closed. If you're here this morning and you need to trust Christ as your Lord and Savior, I'm going to ask you right now just to step out from where you are. Find one of our men here at the front and share with them, I need to trust Christ. I need to give my heart to Christ today to be my Lord and my Savior. I need to let Him to take over. Maybe you're here today and you're looking for a church home and you're uh, believing that maybe this is the place that God has for you to be for you to put your life, your family in this church and be a part of this church family. And I want to invite you to come down and share with these men that I'd like to make this my church home. It may be that you just need to spend some time thanking the Lord right where you are for the word that he has given you, for the word of God that's given to us to teach us and to train us, to exhort us, to rebuke us, to correct us, so that we can become what God intended us to become so that we wouldn't be left out there doing all this on our own. 
So I'm going to pray, and then they're going to sing. And as soon as I stop praying, I'm going to ask you to step out and respond to God's invitation, whether you're in the balcony, the back, down here at the front, wherever you are, just to step out and respond to God this morning. Father, we have looked at your word today. Your purpose is clear. The person of Jesus Christ is clear to us. He is the only way, the only hope that we have. Lord, I pray that today that you'd give us eyes and ears to see and to hear and a heart with a beat of anticipation about what we're going to discover on this journey. Give us an appetite for your word, to long for it and to hunger for it so that we can become not just students of the word, but disciples of your son. Thanks for listening to today's podcast from Sherwood Baptist Church. For more information about Sherwood, you can visit our website at SherwoodBaptist.net. If you live or visit in the Albany area, we invite you to worship with us here at Sherwood. Thanks again for listening, and have a great day.